And we drove out there, and I, I, didn't, I didn't realize what was about to happen to me. Um, but I, I got out there, and it was all set up, and we were there, and we're kind of walking through all that goes into a preview days at a college. And um, I said, all right, are you good? I'm going to take off, because he's going to stay that night. And, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm great. Like, almost like, of course I'm great, you know? Um, and I walked away, and I went, whoa. We just entered a new space. Um, it might not be there yet, but we just, we just entered a new space. This last weekend, he got in our, one of our cars with a buddy and drove down to Point Loma for a, a preview weekend. Um, and I was reminded, once again, that we um, are in a new space. And I found out that Ari just gave him our credit card for this trip, too. So, I'm, so I'm, I'm waiting to hear what the damage is or see what the damage is. Um, I hope Adalberto's is on there. Um, it reminded me when I was his age and I was all set. I knew what my future was. I knew that I was going to be going to Westmont College in Santa Barbara because... I just knew it. I don't know why. That was my intuition. Um, and I, I just knew that's where I was going. I wasn't going anywhere else, though I had looked at a few other places. And I can remember getting in the car with my friend Marcos, who uh, was my friend in junior high and high school and, and is to this day. But um, we, we got in the car and we drove to Westmont. And I had a friend who's already going to school there. And we decided we were going to stay with him. And when we got there, he told me that the dorms are generally kind of set up into like, there's the introvert dorms and the extrovert dorms. This is a true thing at Westmont. And that we were lucky enough to be in the introvert dorms. <laughs> which for my, you know, 43-year-old self, that might have been okay for a weekend. For my 17, 18-year-old self, that was just not going to work. <laughs> um, and so we stayed there that weekend, and we got in the car to come home. And I can remember feeling this, like, almost like punch in the stomach, like, I'm not going there. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and for my 18-year-old self, that was a really big deal. Because I'd put all my eggs in one basket. I had all these reasons why I wasn't going to do other things. And I had this very clear sense that I was going to go there. But I knew after that weekend, um, for whatever reason, whether it was the dorms or, or whatever, um, that wasn't the place. And so I was in this time of change. And I felt it in my bones um, with no clear kind of path forward. I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you are there. Um, change and transition is such a real part of life and seems to be happening um, just quicker and quicker and more often and more often as our world changes um, so drastically. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. Um, just talking to Ari, showing her my notes a little bit on today. Um, 
which I'm not looking at thanks to Kevin's challenge, by the way, which I appreciate. Um, he didn't mean to challenge me, but he did, and I appreciate it. Um, but I was looking at those, and, and Ari said, oh, yeah, you're talking about transition. And Ari's a, if you don't know this, Ari's a labor and delivery nurse, and she teaches labor and delivery. And so when she says transition, she means deeper, more profound things than I would ever um, understand. Um, but, but she told me a little bit about transition and how in pregnancy, it's actually transition that's near the end. Um, and it's that, it's that point, this is how she described it, and you correct me if I'm wrong here. It's that point when all the kind of ideas about pregnancy and birthing a child and all the kind of imaginations and hopes kind of go to the wayside and you're in this moment of truth of like, this is going to happen and I got to go through this. And there's moments for some of, oh shoot, and for others, get out of my way, whoever is there. Um, <laughs> different words, yeah. That's for the blessing ways, those words, yeah. Um, and, and she said, interestingly, it's the time when you never leave a woman alone, and yet it's the time when she's thinking, get out of my way. Um, uh, transition and change. Um, sometimes it's really big situations like an 18-year-old trying to sort out their future, um, a woman about to give birth to a child. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's a job that you really are working hard to get. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's other transitions in life, relational shifts. Um, or honestly, maybe it's very simple changes that are much less emotional but our, our change nonetheless. Um, our, our series that we've been in is on discipleship and, and encouraging one another in our everyday yeses to God. And I think that um, no matter what transition or place in life we find ourselves, these moments of change are, are spots where we are invited to think about a question like this. What does it look like to say yes to God when I don't know what the future holds? What does it look like to say yes to God when I'm unclear about what is next? Um, change brings up all sorts of stuff, right? It brings up things we hoped for. It brings up um, experiences we've had that we try to kind of utilize to make sense of the change. Um, it brings up relationships um, and friendships and how people connect with that transition that we're in. It brings up the very work or labor that we do, whether that's for employment or just out of creativity, out of love. Um, change has all of these factors kind of linked into it. Um, oftentimes it, it holds hopes that seem like they're not going to be met. Our story today, um, we're looking at food stories in the Gospels as we explore this question of discipleship. Our story today is one of my favorites. It's from Luke chapter 24. And um, I'm going to read it out loud here in a second, then we're going to walk through it. But the, the disciples in this story are in a space kind of similar to what we're talking about. 
they have expected and hoped for something that we, we, we discuss a lot in our, in our church, but the disciples in the Gospels are waiting for a new king. They're waiting for God to do something new through a Messiah, and they have gone all in on Jesus. I mean, they took all their chips, sorry for the gambling reference, they took all their chips and they just slid them to the middle of the table, and they are all in on what this guy has invited them to and what Jesus is proclaiming. And where we pick up the story is a few days after Jesus is crucified. And they're trying to figure out what's next. They're trying to figure out where is this thing going? Um, Oh, man. On that same day... Two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. Thou preach. Right there. He said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? I think that's supposed to be funny. That's like sarcastic Jesus maybe or like, um, hey, uh, so what are you, what are you talking about? Um, they stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? He said to them, what things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened three days ago. But there's more. Some women from our group have left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he's alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. Luke has a friend who will say, Come on, big brains. Sarcastically, that's what I hear in there. Um, Your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, seven miles, he acted as if he was going on ahead. I think that's funny too. Um, But they urged him, saying, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed, 
and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures for us? They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying to each other, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Um, what a story. What an awesome story. Um, two disciples, they're traveling. I wonder who this person Cleopas is. Uh, he's not one of the apostles because he's not in Luke's list in the beginning. And because he goes to Jerusalem on a seven mile night hike, might I add, at the end of the story. Um, and finds the 11 apostles there with their companions. So this is a disciple. But we also know this disciple must have some kind of inside knowledge. Because he knows of the story of the women. He knows of the story of Peter. Um, maybe Cleopas is with a spouse. And they're the first ones to say, wow, we got duped. Jesus is dead. We better go home to Emmaus. And get back to the real world. Um, Maybe Cleopas is with a friend or a companion, who knows. But we know that they're disciples. They're people who had given their very lives to Jesus. I wonder, as they walk back to Emmaus to, to fish or to collect taxes or do their work that they do, um, just like what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Um, that line, we had hoped, just rings off the pages to me. Um, it's a familiar line. It's probably what I was thinking as I drove back from Santa Barbara. I had hoped that that's where I was going to go for the next four years of my life. Um, perhaps it's words you sit with, you sit with today. Um, but they're walking back and they're heading back to Emmaus. Again, presumably back to home. At least the place that they had arranged for somewhere to stay because when Jesus kind of pretends to keep going. They've got something lined up where they can invite him, you know. Um, and and they, they're walking in, and this stranger shows up and walks with them um, and asks them good questions and opens up the scriptures for them, um, addresses their hopes and expectations, addresses, their, their memories, um, journeys with them on this walk. A few weeks ago, Sonia and I looked at the, the, a passage in Luke 10 where Jesus is sending out the disciples two by two to go to places that he himself will go. And the instructions were to go there to offer peace, if you receive peace, stay, eat what's put before you, do the work that's needed, and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. You almost get the feeling that these disciples 
in their bewilderment, are following those instructions. And Jesus comes alongside them and he meets them in their memories, their histories. He meets them in their hopes. He meets them in their journey. And he meets them in their community as they arrive in Emmaus. And today, I just want to invite you to consider some of these domains as possible spaces to reflect in your own times of change and transition. These domains are spaces to reflect, might God be walking alongside of me in these places, um, even though I can't see him, even though I can't sense her, even though it doesn't seem clear. Um, these disciples had memories. They had lived formative histories. For those of you who have gone through our vocation groups here at Mountside, you're going to be familiar with some of this language. They had, they had memories that shaped them and shaped their lives. Some of those memories had to do with the scriptures and what the scriptures had taught them. And on this journey, Jesus meets them and engages them in those stories. I think in the, chain, the places of change and transition that we are in, this, this passage reminds us God meets us in those formative histories, even though they are past, um, because they are so present in who we are as people. These disciples had really clear hopes for what was next. Um, similar hopes as to many of the disciples throughout all the Gospels. We are on the winning team. Right? We, life's going to be different here in Rome now. Because Jesus is here. Um, we might even be at his right or his left hand. Like we might have some power in this whole thing. And now they're on this road home. Those hopes dashed. And Jesus meets them there. In, their, in their, their hopes that seem to be dashed. And, and I think this is something that God does in our times of transition and change. Jesus helps them see how their hopes may not be fulfilled in the ways that they expected. But their hopes, their anticipated histories, they will be fulfilled in but maybe in surprising, initially disappointing, maybe in excessive and abundant ways. Um, our hopes are not always fulfilled the way we want them to be fulfilled, but this passage says to us that the risen Christ meets us in our hopes. And no matter how they turn out, um, God is with us in those that's worth an amen. If, come on. Thank you. Um, it's interesting to me that Jesus meets them on their journey. Meets them while they're doing their labor, their work, their, where they're headed. Um, and walks with them. 
Jesus doesn't like, he's not a street corner preacher. I saw one the other day on Myrtle in Colorado right over here preaching at the Monrovian. I was like, oh, wow, this is real. Um, um, Jesus wasn't doing that. Um, Jesus enters their work, their journey. When we are in transitions and change, the gospel says God not only meets us in our memories and hopes that form us and who we are, but God meets us in our work, in our journey, in our labor, um, whatever that is. Um, even when those hopes are not being met um, in the way that we expect. What's your work today? What's your labor? Not your job, maybe your job, but not your job necessarily. Um, I think this, this passage says, keep at it. God will meet you there. If your work is writing, if your work is some kind of creative outlet, if your work is loving people and getting to know people and their stories, if your work is being by yourself and praying for others, if your work is running your company or your business, working with colleagues, well, I don't know what your work is, but as I talk, I, I'm, I'm hoping that your work comes to your mind, and I think the gospel says, in times of transition, do what you are to do. For these two is walk back to Emmaus. And God will meet you there. Um, even if you can't quite make sense of what that is. Finally, I love how in this story, Jesus meets them together. On their way to a communion or a community in Emmaus. Um, and when they realize what has happened, that this new thing they had hoped for is, is beginning to open up in odd ways, not expected, but yet opening up because Jesus is alive, they jump right back on that road at night and travel the seven miles back to Jerusalem to another community of 11 and their companions who are swapping stories about experiencing the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's in communion that God meets people um, and does things that are new. Um, for 15 years, we've been a communion. We still are. We're constantly trying to figure out what that means, what we can expect of each other, what we can't, what we can give, what we're unable to. I suspect that journey will go on for another 15 years. Um, but one thing I do know is that we are a communion that worships together. Every Sunday we come here, we worship together, and we break the bread and we drink the cup, and God shows up. Even for a moment, we can see the living Christ. We're also a communion that has some proximity to one another. We see each other, whether that's in our everyday life or in organized gatherings, men's gatherings, basketball games, blessing ways, whatever. Um, we, we have a proximity with one another. Um, we have intimacy at varying degrees with one another. Um, some of us have known each other a very long time now. Others are trying to figure out how to on-ramp into this communion. 
where we're at in all of that doesn't really matter. What matters is that as we are a communion that each week comes to this table to see and experience the risen Christ, God meets us in this communion. And so when we struggle, we have people who will come alongside of us, whether that's in one-on-one mentoring, um, a meal train. Um, we always have meal trains going. Um, whether that's a hug or a word of advice, doing some laundry, cleaning a house, a listening ear, forgiveness after just letting loose on the basketball court with one another because you need it, um, and understanding, yeah, you probably just needed that, I can take that. Um, whatever it may be, the risen Christ meets these two together as they go to one communion and to another, and the gospel says, God meets us in our imperfect, changing, beautiful, mysterious communion that we have here. Here at Mountainside, these different elements, we call this vocation. Um, I've learned over the years that when you're in a space of transition or change, it can be overwhelming, it can be disappointing, it can be exhilarating, it can feel hopeless and confusing. But, but it is a space where vocation, God calls us to something new. It can be a big new, it can be a small new. It can be a really emotional and powerful new. It can be kind of an everyday ordinary kind of new. But times of change in our life and transitions can be spaces where we go, God, what, what's the new coming out of this change and this transition? I had no idea what would happen. I'm driving in my parents' Plymouth Voyager back from Santa Barbara with my friend Marcos. Um, I had hoped I'd be in Santa Barbara. <laughs> um, and I just kind of shut down on my search. And I went through my senior year just like, I, I don't know, just I guess avoiding the big decision. Visited a couple other schools, felt similar. My mom, who was a professor at APU, which was like three miles from my house, which was not, I wasn't going there. She invited me to an honors banquet for incoming um, high schoolers. Problem, I wasn't incoming. And secondly, I wasn't an honors student. <laughs> um, so I had no business being there. And I still don't know what the details were of the, of the, of the night. I don't remember but I remember leaving that event going, I think I'm going there. <laughs> I think I'm going three miles from my house. How unromantic and, and cool is that? <laughs> um, and for me, those hopes that were unrealized, I've lived in the San Gabriel Valley my whole life now, <laughs> um, never left. Um, have become this beautiful, beautiful answer to a promise. A strange unfolding of a hope that was nothing like I had expected. Um, Marcos is now my brother-in-law. <laughs> How weird is that? Um, many of you know my story enough to know um, 
what my life looks like, and I wouldn't want it any other way. God has vocation, calling, particular points in our lives. Um, as a church, um, I couldn't help but think that Joel's charge for us might be a vocational charge um, for us as a body. God might be doing something new in us. Um, for you, in whatever change or transition you're in, big or small, God meets you in your memories that have gotten you to the place you are. God meets you in your hopes. It may not be how you expect it, but God is with you. Um, God meets you in your work. Keep at it. Keep doing it. Um, God meets you in your friendships and in this communion. Um, and we'll use that to shape the vocational calls um, for each of us. Um, so many examples of what this looks like in our body. Um, so many examples. We had the high school group at our house last night for dinner. It was amazing. Um, it was amazing to see the different stories at play. Um, Sean Defoe Hunter, the great evangelist of the high school group, <laughs> bringing, bringing his friends. Um, it was powerful. Um, yeah. <laughs> but part of that, I mean, honestly, was watching Peter, watching Peter work with our high school students and go, I don't know how Peter would describe this, but to me, it's, there's this vocational sense to it. Um, I, I think of uh, a woman who's on our IRC board named Monica, who came up to Ari a few years ago and said, hey, my daughter is going to be in adolescence. I'm from Mexico. I don't know what this culture looks like and how it works with adolescence. Can you, can you do a class for sixth grade girls on adolescence? And so she started this class called the Mariposas, Lost Mariposas, um, which a number of girls in our church have now gone through, which a number of neighbors have gone through. Um, it's vocational. It's where community and work and hope and memory come together. And then another Monica said to me, Josh, you need to do one of those groups for the boys. And I said, I would never do that to my son. Uh, <laughs> and so we roped Gabe in. <laughs> and Gabe has now created a similar thing. I could go on for days the vocational responses that some seem so ordinary. But we're here to proclaim that God is in the ordinary. Amen? God is in the everyday. And our discipleship is about saying yes. Um, can you imagine that? When, the, when they'd made the hike back to Jerusalem... And Cleopas and his friend are, are there with others who are swapping stories about experiencing God. And they say to the people who are there, it was in the breaking of the bread. It was in the cup that we saw him. That our eyes were opened. These are very ordinary elements 
most people in the world partake in these types of elements. Um, and God is here. God is with us. Living Christ, um, I know that there are change and seasons of transition going on throughout this room. That God, there are memories who have led to these places. There are hopes wrapped up in them. And I pray, God, that today in the elements, you would meet us in a tangible way. In those places. Um, Have your way. Fulfill those hopes in the ways that you see best fit. In strange and abundant and surprising ways. And God, while we wait for those fulfillments, would you be with us? Would you be with us through one another? Would you be with us through a tangible sense of your presence in those places? And we lean on you for that, God. Even now. It's the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.